Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. My name is Kylie Miller, and we have with us today uh, Mr. Dennis Burns. Say hey, Dennis. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bruce Garner. Hey, everybody. And we also have our guest with us today is Mr. James Hendricks. Say hey, James. Hello, folks. All right. Well, guys, we got a lot to talk about today. And I guess we wanted to start with, um, I guess, the crop situation. Um, Dennis, Bruce, I'll let one of y'all kind of give an update and then we'll all just fall in. Well, I, I was running a little bit behind this morning getting getting on the call because um, I was talking to the, the Merle Sistrunk, the state sweet potato specialist, talking about sweet potato harvest. We've kind of got in full swing of um, digging taters right now. And, you know, it's 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 kind of across the boards. I wish I could say it was a real consistent yield um, across the state. Uh, we're seeing some spotty yields where we're getting some really good yields that we expect. And then we've got some fields that the yields are falling off. Um, you definitely can tell t- soil texture this year. Um, you don't have to run a various rig across some of these potato fields to figure out what's going on. You can just look at the pot- potatoes we're picking up. Because it seems like what we're seeing is that more uh, siltier ground with, with a silty, con- silty soil content. Um, yields are falling off. I think that can probably be drawn, those lines can be drawn back to uh, moisture being held in the ground and we're getting we didn't get the roots to size up um, we have seen some rots um, in lower ends of the fields and in fields that held held water um, so sweet potato yields are kind of kind of flaky uh, but yeah but yet in fields that are a little bit more coarser texture sand got some sand in it dried out pretty good we're seeing some pretty good yields um, you know I think we're about to wrap up uh, at least in my around my neck of the woods we're, we're probably wrapping up bean harvest. Um, we're getting a lot of cotton getting picked right now. Um, seeing some pretty good yields on some cotton. Uh, we'll see. I hope the turnout is good, and I hope the quality holds on it. Um, we're looking at looking at some uh, field this morning on the way in. I stopped and counted modules, and if I can do math right uh, about this one particular field, we were solid three bale cotton. Um, and for Morehouse, Par- I mean, for West Carroll Parish, you know, three bale cotton on some of this ridge ground is pretty, pretty strong. Um, bean yields kind of uh, the, the further we got into the season, um, as we got into some of our later beans, kind of the better it got. Uh, me and Dennis kind of discussed yesterday, guys, if you've got bins, this is this is a year that bins are going to help you out. If you can put them, put your stuff in the bins, hold them for a little bit. And then probably come back later, a little bit later in the season, and to to, to market them, we, we may be in really good shape there, um, because I haven't heard of any zero damage beans anywhere. Every, everything I'm hearing is, you know, the the, the least would be two percent damage. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe <clears throat> that two percent may go away when we get into November. Um, those that those damaged beans magically heal themselves. <laughs> or something happens because um, you know, some, something happens with with the damage. But um, I think overall um, we're still hanging our heads pretty low at this at this point. I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of my guys I've been talking to 
they're just ready for this year to be over with. And let's let's get ready for next year. That's that's the summation right there. Everybody says I'm just <laughs> ready to be done. And we're in tensile. We're still we're wrapping up the beans. Uh, we still got a few beans left, a little bit of cotton left. Probably in, since it's not supposed to rain for the next 10, 12 days. By the end of that, we we'll, should be done. Uh, cotton yields go from 700 pounds to three bales. Uh, bean yields, uh, we had so much damage. All those there, some of those they've had to cut for salvage. Some of them have been abandoned. Just kind of depends. Uh, and even the even the good beans that were, you know, went through the. There was something about the heat in May and June that affected these beans. Even the ones that weren't ready when the when the rains came, they're still not cutting what you think. Uh, I got one grower I talked to the other day that, and he's he's planting wheat beans double crop, and he usually does really really well, and he's cutting about two thirds. He said the beans are tiny, and he watered them. They grew off. I mean, they were they didn't suffer for anything fungicide fertilizer everything, and. He said, I'm making about two thirds of what I should normally make. And he didn't know why. They just said they're tiny little beans. So something went on during all that heat. I don't know what it affected, but. You know, Dennis, we, we kind of talked about this yesterday a little bit. Me and Dennis rode down to a meeting in, in Crowley and spent some time just, just discussing. Y'all had a yeah, long we, ride, so yeah, y'all was, got to talk about it. It was a long, well, we, we figured out the best place to get boo down on the way down. Billy's? I mean, no, it wasn't Billy's. It was, I, I could give a shout out to the, the Eunice Superette. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you what. It was good. It well, you got to stop good. somewhere and get something whenever you go. I mean, you can't right. just not, so. I told, I told Ann we're going to make a road trip. That's a That's a good place. It was good, good boot. I'll give a shout out to them. Um, anybody in South Louisiana that listens, you know, you, you make it, you know, everybody's got their personal. We favorite. need a sponsor, huh? We That's need right, a sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For a pack of frozen boot in North Louisiana, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we were talking, you know, I think even on, on the podcast here back in, in June and July, I think RL brought it up when we've talked about it. Um, we were seeing some pod, pods that weren't filling out, you know, in June and July. When we got when we got started getting into July and the pod fill, um, we were seeing a bunch of flat pods. Um, so we, I think we had some yield issues before we had rain issues. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody, but that's just kind of, you know, we we had some heat issues. I I think Dennis is is right. I think we had some nighttime temperature issues that that you know made the plants not put that energy into that pod you know, bean development so yeah I, th I think we had issues before we had issues yeah yeah and i mean don't forget the drought i mean that's kind of what you know was reminded about yesterday on cotton you know he was picking we really are getting started picking cotton here here last week or so and and, and the yields are kind of high and low just like you were talking about dennis i mean there's some there's been some good cotton and some not so good cotton, but, um, you know, that, that drought back in June, July, that's really affected a lot. And then the beans, you know, the, the damage on the beans has been, I mean, all over the board. I mean, like you said, it's been as high as two and I've heard as high as 70. So, um, I mean, 
it, it is what it is. And I think everybody's just ready to get through this, this year and get their ground worked and, you know, start over again some way. So, which I guess leads us into you, Mr. James. <laughs> it's dry right now. Can we plant a cover crop? Well, we have some people that are. Uh, uh, do we recommend it? Probably not at this time. But we're about three weeks into the cover crop planting season. Generally starts around mid-September for our fall, fall covers. But um, we still have plenty of time. And, you know, hopefully within two weeks, maybe we'll get some rainfall. My concern is we do have some producers that have called me that uh, want to kind of target uh you know this fall emergence of the the resistant ryegrass and so one thing that you have to take into account there is that if you wait until a rain uh this ryegrass is going to germinate before you get to cover cotton the ground unless you go and rework the ground which is another cost factor right there so you know that, you, that's kind of a, a touch and go type situation that and it's a big risk and if you go out there with a high rate of a cereal or mustard or whatever you want to do to look at trying to get some suppression of this fall emergence of ryegrass, even using it plus a chemical, then, um, you know, if we get a quarter inch rain as dry as it is right now, probably what you're going to do is have your seeds swell up and you're not going to get good germination of your cover crop. So that's something to take into account. One of the things that, uh, you know, you know, we would like to have enough moisture when we plant them. The thing is, is that we're kind of getting into, uh, like I say, we're in the prime time right now to plant cover crops. So I'm really not worried that much at this point. The thing is, is that we can get control of the ryegrass through chemicals until we get, you know, get going. The thing is, is how long are they going to be able to hold if we go that route? But if we're wanting to use it from the cover crop standpoint, understand your cereals, especially your oats and your cereal rice and everything. Uh, uh, oats are going to come up really fast. So they, if we have enough moisture, so they can establish early on pretty good. And so what we're doing in some cases is uh, we have some tests here on the station where we're planting the oat rye mix at fairly heavy rates and, uh, you know, hoping that we can get enough coverage in there and get competition. Uh, ryegrass doesn't like a whole lot of competition when it emerges. And so that's what we're trying to do is get this competition going on early. So We'll have some more results. Dr. Donnie Miller and, and uh, the station here, Dennis and I, are looking at some work that's going to be done here this fall. We've got a lot of plots that we've got set up to go ahead and plant to start targeting this uh, with, with and without chemicals, with some types of mixes with species and whatnot. The thing is, is that when you're looking at corn, you know, we have a short growing season because people that do want to plant something in front of corn, uh, generally, we're terminating here that uh, a lot earlier than we do for cotton, milo, or soybeans. And so uh, we don't have, we want to get established early if we're going to use a legume in front of corn to try to get some benefit to get it growing in the fall before it kind of goes into a, a stall out. Because most of your legumes are going to grow best in the spring. So you're not going to get the full benefit on the, you know, from the corn standpoint. So what we're looking at basically is trying to, especially behind soybeans, is trying to scavenge what nitrogen's left out there and what nutrients are left out there, going with the oat radish mix because oats uh, come on, they start early and, um, <laughs> and they grow very well. Now, the thing is, is that oats in some cases we get 
several days below 20 degrees, they can die out, which can be a benefit somewhat on corn because this is going to be during during the time that you're going to have a lot of, uh, of, of real cold weather on these weeds also. And so that biomass will try to help out. Some of these oats may survive and all and continue to grow. So a lot of these nutrients can be released by the time you can be starting to plant your corn. Uh, as far as the radishes, you know, they can fall terminate also from a freeze, but uh, they grow very fast. And, um, you know, and they, they're good at releasing nutrients. And so, and within a target time from when you plant your corn so that you can get the benefits of that. So, you know, corn's are tough one. Uh, when you get into soybeans, cotton, and, and milo, it gets a little bit easier. But you need to understand that um, when you're looking at cereal, cereal rye will grow through the winter. It has no problem. Wheat will go into a dormancy. So that's, we've had some issues with wheat in the past trying to terminate it when it's really cold. And, you know, it's in a semi-dormancy or whatnot, and it's not taking up the, the chemicals. So we've had problems with it, but you just got to take that into account when you're planting this stuff. Oats, again, can terminate in cold weather, so you'll see them stalling out if it stays cold for a long period of time. But they're going to start growing a lot earlier than your cereal rye will. So cereal rye is going to carry on through the spring like a lot of your others. So, you know, that, I guess that's a big thing in a nutshell is, is we want to plant lagoons early if we want to get the benefit for cotton or for milo or some of those. But the thing is, is in the spring, uh, you know, if you're going to plant those, we still have plenty of time because we don't start terminating, you know, our, our cotton ground or our soybean ground till a lot later. Another thing is, is that we've had some questions on, you know, doing mixes and a lot of times, you know, if we're going in and planting soybeans and we're use, basically using cereal covers. And um, so, and, 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 and that's for erosion control, it's for, you know, being able to, to uh, scavenge the nutrients there and re-release them back out to the crop. In some cases, and in a lot of cases, what we'll do is is to take care of the microbes that have to break all this biomass down because you know it has a high carbon nitrogen content. The cereals do. Is we will sometimes put a low rate of a of, of a, a lagoon with it, like hairy vetch or whatever it may be, and basically that's to release nitrogen to feed the microbes to break down the biomass that's out there. One thing you've got to watch, though, in, in, you know, when you're trying to decide what crop you're going to plant, you say, OK, we're going to plant cotton and you switch to beans. If you have a high lagoon uh, uh, rate out there, in other words, if you decide, OK, we're going to plant a 70-30 mix of lagoon and a cereal or radish uh, with a radish, then and then you switch and go from cotton to, to soybeans, you understand you can, you can actually delay your nodulation because the soybeans are going to use what's nitrogen in the soil before they're going to start nodulating. So you can actually delay that. And so that's one of the things we're also taking a look at. Dennis and I are going to have some projects going on here where we're looking at microbial activity after we terminate uh, these, these, uh, uh, these cover crops. And we can actually monitor the populations of the microbes that are trying to break this stuff down. And once we get a peak and it starts falling off, then we know that the microbes are dying off from lack of of, of, of a, a food out there, a carbon source out there, uh, but they're using nitrogen, you understand, as their energy source. And so once that starts breaking down and, and we get over that curve, then we know that we've got uh, the nutrients released at that time, you know, what nutrients we have out there and can kind of, you know, gauge where we stand as far as nutrient availability for the crop coming up. I know 
talked really fast and <laughs> talked about a bunch of different things. Is there any particular other questions that? I got, I got a question. I got a question, James. And we kind of talked a little bit about that, uh, I guess it was yesterday. Um, when I sent you that text about a guy asking about um, a mix for corn. But, uh, and you made the statement, as far as mixes, single, whatever, if you just want to plant one, you said something about under $24 an acre. Is that just kind of like the magic well, number? Or well, well no, 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 not the, you know, now if you're in a, understand this too, and I didn't mention this, if you're on the equip contract, you're going to have to follow NRCS guidelines or either get a technical <laughs> variance from them. But uh, when you're looking at cost, you know, if you look at the cost of going in there as far as weed control. Let's say if we're going to try to use a, a chemical for weed suppression in the fall, what's it going to cost to actually pay for the chemical? And you understand that you can have bare ground. So you're going to have an erosion issue and you're going to have some nutrient loss issues possibly because of that, you know, based on how you, you know, and all this cover crop is managing the cover crop. And then after you terminate, managing the biomass. So what we were looking at is basically, okay, if we can, you know, go in there and, and put a cereal out, a, a single species or a mixed species, and we get it under the $24, $25 range, then, and if we get good weed suppression, well, basically it's paid for itself, plus added the erosion factor, it's added in the, the, uh, the, the nutrient scavenging factor, and also there's a lot more benefits than just the weed suppression. And, you know, a lot of people when we started out with this was erosion control because there was so much issues with erosion and everybody sees the benefit, but they're seeing benefit, other benefits for these cover crops also. And that's what we're trying to target. But understand that, you know, if you don't get the, the, the weed suppression at the level that you think you're going to get, then you're still getting other benefits from it, but probably going to outweigh that amount. But what I don't want to do is go out there and spend 50 or $60 an acre, you know, and then you say, well, we could have taken chemicals, but then I would have to back up and say, okay, well, what about the, the, the soil loss that you have? What about the potassium issues that you have? What about the phosphorus loss that's possibly leaving the field through erosion and some of the other nutrients and whatnot? So it's kind of where we are with that. Well, one, one thing that, that, and I'm just going to throw this out, that, you know, people will, We'll, we'll probably argue this point, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be controversial, but <clears throat> we're we're in the, on the, the precipice of losing a chemical that we use in planting, paraquat. Yeah. You know, there, there's a depending on who you talk to and what 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 you read. You know, there there's a, a I think a pretty good chance that in the next few years paraquat we're going to lose that as a as as a chemical that we can have in the in the bag. And I know for, for my guys in this part of the world, we follow the planter with a shot of paraquat to, to burn those escapes off. And what are those escapes? I mean, it's Italian ryegrass. I mean, that's that's one of the major things that we're seeing as an issue um, in in planting. Well, you know, what we're, what we're saying here is we may want to start considering what we're going to do um, down the road if and when we lose paraquat as a as a as a chemical and what the price of that chemical is going to be before we lose it because you know lost supply and demand it's going it's going to get more expensive so guys that aren't cover cropping you know may need to start thinking about what are we what what can we do 
to help us alleviate some of these problems that we've got now. And here we go. I mean, here here's some of the answers that that we need to be considering um, is cover cropping and the benefits. Not just like you said, you know, you you touched on it, um, James. It's not just the weed control. I mean, there's other aspects in there that comes into play. We don't have that bare ground. Um, we we we're not losing soil out of the the bottom of the field. It doesn't look like chocolate milk running out the bottom of the field. Yeah. So there, there's there's other benefits there um, to to cover crop, but we, we need to start thinking about guys that aren't cover cropping. Um, we may be put in a position where that we're really going to have to put that into our our bag of tools um, because we're go- we may lose a tool. Um, so well, just- that's true. And, and the thing is, is that you know we don't want anybody thinking that the cover crops are going to be the you know going to wipe out the issues that we have with tagging ryegrass. But it's almost just like growing wheat. You know, uh, what we're trying to do is come up with cover crops that we can come in. And if we have a serious enough problem, and that's one of the tests that we're putting in right now, is being able to go in there and utilize chemicals with the cover crop to kind of enhance the suppression or, or, you know, with the ryegrass. There's no doubt that uh, where we planted it here on the station and we planted it, at, we have different seeding rates that we planted it that we, we know we're getting suppression of it and a lot of other weeds also. And uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty revealing from that standpoint. So, you know, the thing, but you've got to understand is, is that we can't start skimping on rates when you start and say, mm-hmm. okay, my main objective is to go out there and try to suppress these, these particular weeds, whether it be, you know, uh, ryegrass or pigweed or whatever it may be, you're going to have to go with a higher rate. Now, I'm not saying go with some of the exorbitant rates, but that what we're doing with this, we're using multiple seeding rates to see what kind of suppression that we're getting. But Dennis can assure you that the field that we're working in right now is a total ryegrass pasture. And so it has been continuously in it. So if we get suppression, we'll know it. Right. He's, he's got to do something because he's got a nursery down there. It's just it, a it, seed nursery. That's it all is it a, and so it's going to be rated and uh, we ought to get some information pretty fast because what we're looking at trying to trying to stall out this fall emergence because there's two emergences. You're going to have the fall and then you're going to have the spring. Well, if we can get enough competition on this ryegrass out there in the fall, we hope we can keep it suppressed. And this understand if we're using cereal rye or cereal rye oats, whatever the mix it may be, or mustard, then we should have enough biomass in the spring that when we terminate it, but then it's going to come back to a residue management issue. Now, if you go out there and you disc it all up and you aerate the soil, I mean, you, you open the soil up to sunlight and you don't have any, any uh, uh, cover there, then, you know, you've already got to, you know, if you till the soil, you've got to seed ready to grow again. So it's going to be a management strategy. It's and and I think that's James. What you're saying is it's not you. You know, a long time ago we planted cover crops. You just threw them out there and you killed them. You didn't worry about them too much. Now it's becoming more. You have to manage it just like your cash crop because it's now part a more integral part of it. I guess right. And you know, and everybody's concerned about cost, and I understand that. You do have a program available to you though. It's going to offset some of that. But, you know, if you get into a situation that, say, you went out and you use one of the cereals to to try to suppress weeds and you get weed suppression, can you put a dollar amount on that? Yeah, you can. 
well, if that dollar amount's offset and what the chemical cost and then the traveling back across the field is going to be and all that, plus the erosion factor, plus if you're on a borderline as far as either phosphor potassium uh, of uh, you know, levels in your soil or soil test, then, you know, that can make or break right there whether you're going to have to apply. Another thing, if you're using cover crops too, and you're going to see some changes probably in the future, is our soil test. Are we taking into account what's in the biomass of this, this cover crop that we're growing? You know, we have the, the, the amount of nutrients that are left over from biomass, from corn, cotton, rice, sugarcane, soybeans, and wheat. We know what's in that biomass on a per ton basis. But on these cover crops, we're collecting all that. We have a lot of the information already. But are we taking that into account when you're going out there and getting ready to put out fertilizer on your crop? And what we found out is some of the people are on the borderline and some of these cover crops can mine these nutrients and hold them in the biomass and re-release them to the soil. You may not have to apply certain years. Now, fall, fall, fall test is important for lining, okay? But now we have the capability of putting phosphorus and potash out in the spring. And so, you know, that's 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 the thing. Do we need to take if you have a cover crop, do you need to and I know y'all are doing some of it, but do you think that you need to go out and cut a sample of your biomass and have it tested? We can pretty much tell you because but, but basically whether you're using vetch, whether you're using Austrian winter peas as far as that or what cereal right we can pretty much get a good idea of what's in that biomass without having to go through the process of sending it off and have it tested. In other words, we can come up with a factor. But when you're talking about the amount of tons of biomass out there, you know, if you if you terminate it at the correct time, uh, you know, if in whether you're at boot stage with your cereals or if you're at, at first bloom or mid bloom with the, any of the the, uh, the legumes, uh, we can we've got a pretty good idea of, of how much is out there. And so, and how much will be available to your plant? So, you know, that, but I think that needs to be taken into account because okay. we're having issues over here now. Dennis can tell you where we, you know, planted cotton, we've been using hairy vetch and a, an oat mix, and we're fixing to drop our, our fertilization rates dramatically as far as nitrogen, dramatically on it. And uh, so, but we're, that's have, a we spring stall test too, so on those fields. I'm actually looking at your chart here. You have a chart broke down on the nitrogen biomass based on each crop on the website. Yeah. I think. And let me let me let me say on some of James's more. He's talking about his cotton. We couldn't. You couldn't put enough picks on it. It just grew that. I mean, it's head high. And you and y'all fixed it a whole bunch. You couldn't put enough yeah. picks on it. And, and you know, and you sit there and say, okay, we got the cost of putting picks out, what it costs, plus the equipment going over these fields four or five times putting out picks on it. When all we had to do, all we're do, doing now is producing biomass. Now, do we have a good crop, cotton crop? Yeah, we do. But the thing about it is, is we've got way too much biomass. And so we're going to cut back this nitrogen and it's going to be uh, if y'all come to a field day, probably this next spring that we're going to have, you know, you're going to see what those those numbers are. But I'm, I'm telling you that the cost of nitrogen for what we have in cover crop off cover crop out there, we're more than offsetting by reducing that nitrogen rate with the fertilizers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, Kylie, let me mention here. 
I saw, I raised my hand. We laugh about raising our hand. I saw Bruce raised his hand. We're just getting to be real polite in this, <laughs> in this podcast thing, you know. We're just, everybody's getting good manners and we're raising our hand to talk. And I guess we're back in kindergarten, you know. Well, Can we take y'all... a nap today? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> if we have a nap, I'm all about it, you know. Oh, well, Congressman Letlow's going to be here during nap time, so I'm not going to get yeah. to do that today. <laughs> oh. Well, maybe we'll get her on the podcast one day. I'll ask her. I will ask her. Sure. All right. Well, I guess it's a good place to close. Mr. James, we appreciate you um, coming on the podcast today and joining us and sharing that information. And, of course, you're welcome anytime you've got something you want to share. But um, thanks, guys, for listening, and we will see you next week. Thank you for inviting. Thank you. See everybody. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.